Well, I was gone this week on a trip, and so I had planned on preaching today, and a good friend of mine, Mike Palmer, who leads a network of our Nazarene churches on the eastern part of Missouri, uh, really, in a really kind way, just said, hey, would you like for me to teach on Sunday since you've been gone all week? And so, as a friend, I greatly appreciate that, to be able to enjoy my week, uh, and then to be able to come and to learn and to listen with you guys. And so, I really am appreciative of Mike. And so, would you welcome Mike this morning? We don't want to wear your pastor out, so, uh, but it's always a joy to uh, bring the word to you, and glad that he had a great week, and it's good to see all of you uh, this morning, and it's always an honor to open the word, and uh, so thank you for the worship today and for uh, all of that. So let's stop a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to open our ears to what he has to say to us uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. And we thank you for what we've already sensed and experienced in praise and worship and prayer. And now as we open your word today, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We believe you want to tell us something, to share something with us, to encourage us, to help us. May we hear it, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So I have, uh, my wife and I have five grandchildren and... uh, there's nothing better than that, right? And uh, three of them, um, as some of you know, live in Napa, California. Michael and Elizabeth have uh, a girl and two boys. And then Mandy and Jason attend here, and they have Rylan and Briggs. And so we are privileged to have five fabulous, marvelous, wonderful grandkids. And so uh, one of the things that all of them like to do, it doesn't matter what their age is, uh, even to this day, one of the, the favorite activities we participate in together is going to the park, right? And so all we have to do is say, do you want to go to the park? And the big decision is which park do we want to go to because there's several to go to. But it's always fun to go to the park. And so um, let me just tell you what my idea of going to the park is, okay? And we'll, we'll pull it into the St. Louis context with, with Ryland and Briggs. So when, when we make a plan to go to the park, my, my idea is, okay, we'll We'll get the kids and maybe a couple snacks, and we will um, go to the park. And once we get to the park, that's where all the activity is, right? That's where the action is. The slides, the ropes, course, the trees they like to climb. um, You know, all of that is at the park, right? And so my idea of going to the park is leaving my house, walking up the street, turning left, walking about 100 yards, turning left, going a couple blocks, and getting to the park, and then the fun starts. That's my idea of going to the park. My grandkids have a different idea of going to the park. And they're teaching me a very valuable lesson because in my mind, I'm destination driven. Let's leave the house, get to the park, that's where the fun happens. But you see, what they have taught me is there's a lot to do between my house and the park. There's rocks to climb on. There's flowers to pick for mom. There's worms to pick up if it had just rained on the sidewalk that are wiggling around. There's dump trucks going by. There's fire trucks going by. There's cement trucks going by. There's tractors going by. There's an ambulance going by. There's all kinds of things going on between my house and the park. And what they're teaching me is sometimes I'm so destination driven that I miss the journey to where I'm going. 
I miss the trip. I miss the experience of getting there. And so really, that's the point of the message today. If we had a thesis or a theme or a title or a point, it would just simply be, don't be so destination-driven that you miss the journey. Israel had a problem with that at times. They, uh, as you know, if you've studied Israel at all, they were up and down, in and out. Sometimes they pleased God, sometimes they displeased God. And he was always trying to teach them lessons, right? And so the particular uh, point in history that I want to bring out today is found in Isaiah chapter 43. And um, I think it's on page 718 in your pew Bible, but we also have it on the screen. The context of this um, the story is that Israel's been in exile in Babylon for a period of time. They've, they've displeased God, they've, they've, they've disobeyed God, and they ended up in a foreign country in Babylon under their rule, and we call it the exile. But God is beginning to change the context and is laying a foundation where he's going to bring them out of exile and lead them back to their homeland and hometown of Jerusalem. And so the first part of Isaiah, the first 40 chapters or so, is the story of their disobedience, their rebellion, and exile and all that. But beginning with about chapter 40 through about chapter 45 or so, we see the plans of God beginning to unfold where he's beginning to teach them and inform them that he's going to bring them back home to Jerusalem. All right, And so um, that's the context of where we're going to land this morning. So the first part of chapter 43, which is the chapter that we're mainly going to focus on, we find these words, and some of you will recognize these. I have a feeling some of you have these verses underlined in your Bible or maybe even memorized. Uh, they're very encouraging um, scriptures that help us when we're going through difficulties and so keep in mind, God is beginning to lay the groundwork to bring them back to Jerusalem. And here's what he says in chapter 43, uh, verse, beginning with verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Right in that first verse, he establishes again in their mind who He is. He is their God. He's their Creator. He's the one that formed them. He's the one that loves them. All right? And then in verse 2, He says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now what tense is that written in? future tense, when this happens. It's, it's about what's going to happen. Whenever this happens to you, I want you to know I will be with you. When you go through the rivers and when you go through the floods and you go through the fire and you go into difficult times, Israel, I want you to know something. When that happens, I will be with you. Now some believe this is a reference to the three Hebrew boys in the fire that God delivered. And a reference to the crossing of the Red Sea where God delivered the nation of Israel from Pharaoh. And so he's basing it on a historical fact, but he's saying to them, when this happens in the future, there's going to be some rivers to cross, there's going to be some fires burning, there's going to be some floodwaters, there's going to be some difficulties, but take heart, 
when that happens, I will be with you. And so he's establishing this promise. When this happens, I will be with you. Now let's go to verse 16 of the same chapter. Chapter 43, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. God is saying now, um, I am the one that did this. I'm the one who made a way through the sea, the Red Sea. I'm the one who made a path through the Red Sea when Pharaoh was chasing you. I'm the one that drew Pharaoh and his chariots and horses into the, into the sea, and then I snuffed them out. I'm the one that did that. So when you faced the Red Sea, you had nowhere to go. And if you remember that story, they were trapped. The Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them, they were doomed. They couldn't fight the army. They didn't have enough manpower. And the Red Sea was uncrossable. But God made a way. This is past tense, right? He's saying, I am the one that did this for you. Now, he just said, I'm the one who will do it for you, right? And now he's saying, I just want to remind you that I'm the one who also did it for you. Has God been faithful to you? Has God made a way when you thought there was no way? Has God provided for you and and met your needs? God has been faithful to all of us. We could put God in the past tense as being very faithful and very true. And so that's what he's saying to this nation of Israel as they're beginning this new chapter of coming out of 70 years of exile into a new day of going back home. He's saying, I want you to know something. I was there for you in the past. I will be there for you in the future. Amen? That's good news, right? Now we can stop right there and say it's good news. That God has been there and we take hope that God will be there. But he doesn't stop there. In fact, he he kind of drops this little bomb on him in the next verse. Because he not only says, I will be there, and I have been there, but in verse 18 he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? What tense is that? That's present tense. Now what he's saying, if, now this Red Sea thing, I don't think we really understand it in our culture, but that's, that's the iconic event in the nation of Israel's history up to this point. I mean, that's the one you're going to have pictures on your wall. That's the one that's going to be in the museum. That's the one you're going to tell your grandkids about when God delivered the nation of Israel through the Red Sea. That is the big deal. That's the big moment. And now God is saying to them, God is saying to them, forget that. Just forget it. Don't dwell on that. Okay? Don't, don't, don't dwell on that. Don't spend your time reminiscing about that. Because I am doing a new thing. Present tense, right now. Now, I did a good thing back then. That was a new thing for you then. Everybody with me? That was a new thing for you then. Now, it's a memory. Don't dwell on it. There's other things going to happen in the future. We don't know what they all are, but that'll be another memory. But right now, I want you to see what I'm doing in this moment. 
That reminds me a little bit of me going to the park. I can't wait to get to where I'm going, but in the process of hurrying to get to where I'm going, I miss what God's doing now. Now, all of us in this room have dreams and plans and hopes and ambitions and things you want to do and, you know, accomplishments you want to make and maybe you want to get that degree or you want to get that promotion or you want to, you know, whatever that is out there that you're reaching for. And we all need to do that. We should reach long and reach far. But we shouldn't miss what God's doing in the process of our reaching. Because you see, there's rocks to climb on, there's flowers to pick, there's worms to pick up, there's trucks to see on the way to the park. Now, I don't know where you're at in your life today. I don't know what's going on in your, in your home, your job, your business. I don't know any of that. But I do know this. God has been faithful to us, and God will be faithful to us. But the good news is also that God is being faithful to us right now. And I know that sometimes in my life I can just look so far ahead or want or desire something else that I miss what God may be doing now. So don't be so destination driven that you miss the trip. Okay? Um, a couple, some, a couple, uh, a year ago fall, I guess, a couple years ago, we took a car out to Michael and Elizabeth and and if you were to ask us where we're going next week, we would have said, we're going to go to see Michael Elizabeth. We're going to take a car to him, right? That was our destination. But as we left St. Louis, there's a whole lot of things between St. Louis and Napa, California that we were able to see. Now, that was our destination, and we got there. But in the process, we got to have dinner with an old classmate of mine from college. We got to see that hole in the ground where the meteor hit. Anybody ever see that? Don't pay to see it, but it's just, you know, it's just a big hole in the ground where a meteor hit thousands of years ago, and we went and looked at it. Uh, it looks like a divot God made on a golf course is what it looks like, but um, we, we were able to see two presidential libraries. We saw the petrified forest. We were able to drive through the Los Angeles fires, but then we got to Napa. It's just another illustration that we have a destination, but between us and the destination, there's a whole lot of things to experience. And what God was trying to get through to Israel, I think, is don't get your hopes so built up on the day you're going to be delivered that the day you're going to walk back into, into your home of Jerusalem, don't get so focused on that that you miss what I'm doing today on your way to that. So I just want to share a couple things with you very quickly. On this thing called life that we're living there's a couple of things I think we need to know. God does have a future plan for us. You believe that? In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he's talking to Israel again. He's talking about their years in exile. And he tells them in that chapter, look, while you're waiting, don't just bide your time, but build houses and get married and have kids and build businesses and plant gardens and live while you're here. Don't miss the moment while you're waiting for the destination. And then he says in 29.11, I know the plans I have for you. I know where we're going. I know what they are. They're good plans. They're hopeful plans. They're going to be prosperous plans. But in the meantime, don't miss what I'm doing right now. So I just want to tell you a couple things. And that is, on this journey we're making to the park, on this trip we're making to our destination, 
God knows where you are. God knows where you are this morning. Now, we all put on our, our Sunday faces and our Sunday clothes, and we come in, and we all look great. Look at your neighbor say, you look great. Go ahead. You look great. Now, some of us, it's a stretch, but, you know, we do. We come in here with our Sunday thing on, and, and that's all good. But, but we all know our story. We all know where we're at. You know the hurt, the pain, the disappointment, the excitement, the success that you've had this week. But I just want to tell you, God knows where you are. He knows where you've been, and He knows where you're going, but He also knows where you are right now as you're listening to me. He knows the feelings you're having. He knows the hurt you're experiencing. He knows the questions you have. He knows all about that. And um, I want to tell you that he cares about that. And he's aware of that. In Psalm 139, in Psalm 139, David is, is uh, thinking on some things about God. And he's talking about how he was made and, um, uh, and, and his life and how God searches him and knows him and how intimate that relationship is. And then he asks a question. In verse 7 of of Psalm 139, he asks this question. Where can I go from your spirit? Now that's not the question of a rebellious son saying, how can I get away from my father? This is a man who's reflecting on his relationship with God and he's wondering, is there anywhere that I could go that God doesn't know where I'm at? Is there anywhere that I'm not on the GPS of God? Is there any place where God loses sight of me? And then he begins to look at some options. He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, if you look at those three things, he's going, no, if I go up to the heavens, I mean, if things are great, if I got that promotion and I got that raise and I got that new house and I got all of that, God is there. If the bottom falls out and I end up in the depths and I am, I am at the lowest point of my life, and I don't know what to do. God is there. God's presence isn't dependent on your circumstances. He's there, period. And then he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even your hand will guide me. In the middle of transition and change and the unknown, in the middle of of questions, he is there. And then the third thing he says, Even if the darkness hides me and light becomes night around me, it's not darkness to you. You're not blinded by the fog around me. Has anybody here ever flown in what they call the soup in an airplane? Is that not encouraging? Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. I was coming into St. Louis one time, and I was sitting by a guy. He was by the window, I was by the aisle, and we were in the soup. I mean, and I, you, you, when you fly enough, you learn the sounds of the airplane, and they don't freak you out all the time. I mean, when, the, when the, the flaps go up or down, the wheels go up or down, and the motor shuts down, you begin to learn the language of the plane. And you can tell when you're, when you're coming in for a landing. And we were coming in for a landing, 
and we could see nothing. It was flying through a cotton ball. That's what it looked like. And my seatmate over here, who evidently was a positive thinker, said, just think, there's other airplanes out there. <laughs> and I go, oh, great, thanks, man. That's a word of encouragement. And, and I mean, we were in the soup, couldn't see a thing, and the, the engines were, were getting you know, quieter, and, and you could tell we're getting closer, and we couldn't see a thing. And, we, and finally, we broke out of the clouds just above the runway, and we landed smoothly here at Lambert and made it fine. But I'm going, my word. But then I remembered several years ago when I went into a simulator at Lambert with a, with a guy who was a captain of um, TWA Airlines. And he took me and my brother into the simulator and they said, let me show you some things we can do and how we train and test our pilots. And he went through the whole thing and I mean, he'd make it rain, snow, fog. We flew through the arch. I mean, we do all that stuff. And, but what was amazing to me was the training and the equipping of those pilots when they're in the soup they weren't looking at the soup. They weren't freaking out because they couldn't see. Their eyes were on their instruments. Because the instruments knew right where they were. And when they learned to fly by instruments, you can fly into that stuff. So I wasn't too panicked because I knew the training of the pilot. Now, if I was in the pilot seat, everybody would be panicked. But not those guys. They're not freaking out. They're not sweating. They're just doing their job. It's a little bit about what David's talking about. You know, when I'm flying in the soup and I can't see anything, I have to understand, you don't see it the same way I see it. Because I can't see where I'm going, but you see where I'm going. You see what's going on. And you say, I am doing a new thing in your life. I'm right there with you. So wherever you are this morning, God's with you. Whatever you're going through this morning, God is with you. Not going to be with you only, not has been with you, but is with you. So in this chapter, he says to the Israelites, when you go through the difficulty, you can count on me, I'll be there. Just like I was there when you went through it before. But I don't want you to focus on the past or the future. I want you to enjoy the now. Because I'm doing something new. It's right in front of you, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Don't you see it? Has anybody ever seen one of those pictures? They're, they're, they're kind of passe now, but they used to be the thing where it had all these um, pixels that all looked the same until you crossed your eyes and acted like a lunatic and then something came out of it. Anybody ever see that? I have a church on our district that uh, has that in their boardroom. I don't know why they have it in their boardroom. But every time I go, I do that. I do those, cross my eyes and cock my head and Try to, but once you see it, you see it. That image comes out of that chaos and you begin to see it. I think that's a little bit what God's saying. Look, I'm doing a new thing. And if you'll look for it, if you'll trust me, if you'll pay attention, you'll see it because it's right in front of you. So I've been faithful to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. But don't miss the fact that I am doing something special right now. And so I guess my... My challenge to all of us is don't be in such a hurry to get to the park that you miss the trip.
One last story and I'll be done. Um, a number of years ago, I was traveling as an uh, itinerant evangelist holding meetings around the country. And we actually attended Trinity during that time. Um, but um, we were invited to hold a family camp in the uh, mountains of Northern California, just outside of Sacramento. And so um, it was during the summer, kids were out of school, and we were able to arrange it where we all got to take the trip together. We rarely all got to fly together. I don't know that we ever did before or since then, but we, Michael and Mandy and Mary and I, we all got tickets and we were all going to fly to Sacramento, rent a car, drive down to San Francisco for a few days, and then go back and hold the camp. And it was just going to be a family vacation that uh, was going to be special to us. Big deal. So we got our tickets and got on the airplane, and Mandy was by the window, Michael was in the middle, I was on this aisle, Mary was on this aisle. This is going to be a great trip, right? We're going to St. Louis, Sacramento, San Francisco, Sacramento, mountains. It's going to be fantastic, right? Everybody with me so far? We don't ever get to do this. We've never done that before. <coughs> so it's going to be a big, big deal. So we got on the plane, got our seats, and taxied out and took off. Well, right after we took off, the gentleman in front of me decided to recline his seat. Has anybody ever had this happen to you before? You know, I'm, I'm like 6'1", I'm not super tall, but my legs are kind of long, and there's not a lot of room between those seats. And this was a guy who had, um, uh, he was a large man. Is that okay to say it that way? He was a large man. And I'm not sure, but what his seat was broken. Because, I mean, he laid in my lap. I'm, now, I'm not exaggerating. I could give him a scalp massage like this. Right here. Now, we're, we're on our way out. We're just, we got a three-and-a-half-hour flight, and I'm looking at this man's scalp, and it wasn't very... And I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, okay? <laughs> but have you ever had that feeling start, like, in the bottom of your feet and start raising up here and starts... This, this irritability. I started getting mad. I started getting ticked off because this man was in my space, right? So I did the Christian thing at first and I kind of just moved around and bumped his seat with my knees. Thinking that maybe any, any well-thinking, you know, courteous man would say, oh, I'm sorry, am I crowding you? I'll raise up. Did he, he notice? No, he didn't do a thing about it. So bumping the seat didn't work. Finally, I raised up between the seat, and I said, Sir, could you raise your seat up? I said, you're, you're kind of crowding me back here. And he pushed it up, and then it came right back. And so for three hours, I'm looking at this scalp with an unconcerned, stubborn man in my lap. Right? Everybody with me? Got the picture? Can you, can you see this? Well, I was, I was mad the whole trip. I was ticked off. I was frustrated. He wouldn't move. He wouldn't move up. And it was just awful. And so we, again, you learn the noise of the plane. You can tell when you're starting down. Then they come on and say, please put your seat in the upright position. Another three hours late. And put your seat in the upright position and your tray table in the upright position and all that and all that. So it, it all happened. And we landed. And we got up. And 
kind of tried to give him the look, but he never looked at me. <laughs> Which was good. I'm getting ready to go preach. I told you I wasn't proud of it. So we landed. He left the plane. We got off the plane. And it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit began to speak to me a little bit because I was so frustrated. And he said, hey, Mike, did you see what just happened? I said, yeah, I saw it. For three hours I saw it. Man was in my lap. Stubborn man, wouldn't move. For three hours he's in my lap. No, he said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, did you notice that you had three and a half hours on an airplane with your kids? And you missed it? Did you look out at the mountains? Did you try to figure out if you passed the Grand Canyon or the, the Rocky Mountains, what they looked like? Did you, did you look at the desert? Did you try to figure out anything geographically? Did you play any games on this plane? How many times do you get to fly with your kids for three hours? I'll never get that trip back. Because I was so frustrated by the distractions that I missed the trip. All I want to say to you this morning is God is actively working in your life. Right now, don't miss what he's doing. Don't miss what he's doing. Jesus, uh, it's just a simple thing. But help us not to miss today what you're doing. May we experience the new thing. May we see it. May we enjoy it. May we in, engage in it and grasp it. We know you'll be there when we need you in the future. You've been there when we needed you in the past. But Lord, may we see what you're doing today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.